You know, friends, one of the great gifts that I have as a priest is that I get to uh, baptize my nieces and nephews and relatives. It's a, it's a really cool opportunity. Um, this past week, I was with my family, and it's become somewhat of a Christmas tradition that some cousin is having a baby, and we're going to baptize them right after Christmas. So I'm not sure who it's going to be next year uh, who's having a baby, but um, we'll, we'll figure that out when it comes, right? So every year... Uh, we've, we've done this for the past, I think we skipped last year, but uh, for the past three years before that, there was a kid to baptize. You know, and uh, when that day comes, um, it, I was kind of considering uh, that baptism of little Asher, uh, my cousin's kid, uh, this past Thursday, or no, Tuesday, past Tuesday, uh, and, and then in light of this beautiful reading from the gospel today, you kind of consider this gift that is being given to this child, Asher, uh, or to any child who's baptized, right? So if you have a kid, you can remember probably that day when you brought them for baptism and uh, the, the gift that was given to them of eternal life. And it's always this amazing moment, this profound uh, just almost mysterious, uh, strange reality of the fact that this child is now a child of God. And that's come about because their parents, that little baby's mom or dad, asks for baptism. Um, and you think about that, right? It's a profound thing to consider that the faith is given to us through often, very often, through our families. Now, families aren't perfect. No family except for the Holy Family is perfect. And even it had St. Joseph, right? Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't immaculate. Uh, he, he was a saint, but he wasn't uh, immaculately conceived. Um, when they were sitting around the dinner table and something hap- wrong happened, it was always Joseph's fault, right? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a sad truth. But uh, I, not, I kid, right? St. Joseph, please pray for me. Um, <laughs> You know, but think about this, friends. Jesus decided to be born in a family. He's the only one, in fact, of all of the human race that decided to be born in a family. No other person uh, ever who's been born decided that he was going to be born. Or she was going to be born, right? Like, it, it, that's not the way it works. Uh, and, and friends, that's an incredible thing. It's, it's something that we, we sometimes skip over a little bit when we think about this great time of Christmas. Um, you know, Merry Christmas is still Christmas, right? We're still, we can't contain it all in one day, so we just keep celebrating. I hope you're still eating sweets at home. Um, and uh, they, they don't count for calories right now. So, um, you know, it's Christmas. Uh, so, but the, the reality is, Jesus decided to be born in a family with a mom, with a foster father, with a husband and a wife. And through that family, redemption begins. Now, Jesus' decision to come not as a conquering king, fully grown and independent means something for us. He's assumed family life to himself. There's a, a church father, well, many of the church fathers actually kind of say something like this, but one of them says, Whatever is not assumed is not redeemed. The corollary of that is whatever is assumed in Christ Jesus 
is redeemed. Redemption starts in a family. Now, why is this so fitting? Well, because if you look at Genesis, how did God create the human race? Not as an individual, but as a family. In fact, St. John Paul II says that it's not so much that man becomes the image and likeness of God, not so much in the moment of his solitude, but in the moment of communion. When man sees woman and woman sees man and husband and wife, the first marriage, it's in Genesis chapter 2, right? They, they see each other. And this one at last is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. This one shall be called woman for out of her man she was taken, right? And there's this unity and community. And that's a family. In the beginning was not just an individual, but was a family. And so... We know the story though, right? Adam and Eve were meant to pass down the life of grace which they had received freely from God to their children. They were to, to beget biological children by cooperating with, with God and then to also pass down this life of grace, this inheritance of grace. But we know the sad story. Adam and Eve chose uh, selfishly to turn away from their dependence upon God and to depend upon themselves and thus they let letting trust die in their creator they they became estranged from him sin entered the world and with sin what do we see but a breaking up in a certain sense of the family right like you look at the story of Cain and Abel and there's this brokenness there even between Adam and Eve themselves it's said before the fall they were naked without shame what does that mean it means that they they stood in each other's presence and there was no fear of being used there was no fear of of the other person taking, but only a recognition that the other person would love. Only a recognition that uh, this person is a person not to be used, but rather to be loved. Now friends, throughout salvation history, we see how God uh, desires to bring us back to that and actually raise us even higher by incorporating us into the very life of the Trinity. Sort of the family life of heaven is the life of the Trinity. You look at the covenant he makes with Abraham. It's not merely with an individual, but rather the individual stands for this entire people, his entire family. He makes a covenant, God makes a covenant with a family. And uh, Abraham's yes to that. is representative of the entire, is, is as head of a family. Salvation in the Old Testament is never merely an individual affair. It's always familial. It's always communal. And so it is also in the New Testament. You look through uh, the Old Testament, you see that it's fulfilled in the New. And in the beginning was a family. And in the New Beginning, which starts with Jesus Christ, we see a family. It's not just the baby laying in the manger, but it's the family that he chose, right? He chose to be born in a family and um, thus redeemed the family, this new beginning. See, Adam and Eve, husband and wife, fell from grace because of their selfishness. But Mary and Joseph, the new, in a certain sense, Adam and, and Eve, uh, the new couple there, they walked with Christ. They stayed with Christ. Adam and Eve, it said, walked with Jesus or walked with God in the breezy time of the day before they fell from grace. Here we have in the nativity scene 
a husband and a wife walking, following after God who is present in their midst. You know, Jesus' then living in a family shows us that no point of our experience, of our human experience, is irredeemable. In fact, that he's close to us in every point of our human experience. If you're uh, a kid, if you're under, you know, 10 years old, raise, we got any 10-year-old, 10 and unders here today? I see, yeah, there you go, raise your hand. I like it, thank you, that was courageous, good. Uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus at one point was your age. Have you ever thought about that? He was your age, right? And uh, if you're a teenager, he was also your age. If you're a 20-something, he was also your age. He probably uh, uh, came to the cross when he was about 33, so if you're older than that, uh, he wasn't your age. But he did something for you, right? He continues to do things for you, right? If you're a mom, and you don't have to raise your hand because you're probably carrying a kid, um, uh, right? He became a child, and when you take care of your children, you care for him. Like he, he's giving a, a new meaning to what it means to be a mother. If you're a dad, when you lead your family and when you protect your family as you should, uh, you are acting as a protector of Christ as St. Joseph was. See, also for the elderly and for widows and widowers and for single people, he allows himself to be received by you. Because he comes in a family. You think about this, right? Like, what do moms and dads, when aunts and uncles come over to the, to the house and uh, the kids are running around or whatever, uh, moms and dads are like, yeah, you can have them right now, right? There's this like, yeah, you, you can hang out. Well, hopefully. Oh, uh, th- there's this like uh, gift of being able to receive. And Jesus comes and, and he says, you can take me into your arms. You can love me. And by loving me, you can come to know God, my Father, and receive salvation. There's no part of our human experience, no circumstance in which you find yourself, brother or sister, which is not redeemed by Christ Jesus, in which Jesus is is at every moment. He is teaching you how to love him. And he is teaching you how to live Redemption, salvation is a communal affair. It's a familial affair. We all must learn about Jesus from someone. And this is perhaps the most important thing that Christ's coming in a family teaches us. That the family is the primordial place for evangelization. It is the privileged place where we come to know the good news. You know, I think of, now, now sometimes we, we, we recognizing, we, sometimes we, uh, we start to think, well, my family's not perfect. My family's not ideal. You know, I, there's problems in my family. I, you know, there's divorce, there's, there's these challenges, there's, uh, you name it, right? I don't have to go, th- go through the whole litany of things for you to understand what I'm talking about. But friends, nevertheless, the family remains a place where we can share the good news. And in fact, it's the best place, the first place where we share the good news. When a child is brought to baptism, 
And if you're a mom or a dad who has brought a kid to baptism, the priest asks that question. He's, do you clearly understand what you're undertaking? And in asking for baptism for your child, you are undertaking the responsibility of raising him or her as a Catholic, raising him as a disciple of Jesus. And the parents say yes to that, right? That's, that's a promise. It's a, it's a huge thing. And it, what, it, what it does is it's reflective of the reality of the family. It's reflective of, of the fact that in the family, we are to proclaim the good news to one another, that, that Christ is present in that in that privileged place among that communion of persons who are baptized. And so, friends, recognizing that it's super obvious that you know, families are not perfect, that they're not ideal. You should have heard me and my brother arguing uh, a few days ago, right? It's, whenever you go home, it's just like you're a teenager again, right? You just, you just argue with your brother. It's the same argument every time, and it's beautiful. Uh, and, and you say, I'm sorry, Travis, every time. Uh, but friends, there's something there, right? And we can pass on the faith to one another. We can proclaim the good news in our families. We must not underestimate the power of a family, imperfect though it may be, who recognizes its evangelical mission, first within itself and then to the wider culture. Whatever your circumstances, you have a role to play in this. And so I I urge you to kind of consider this. The baptized family is a place where the gift of faith is transmitted and every member has a role to play in the sharing of the faith. It is a place where we learn to love and to be loved. It is thus God's instrument to us to prepare us to give ourselves away in love in imitation of Jesus Christ. No family is ideal. But if we cooperate with God's grace, our families can be places of faith, hope, and charity through which we and many others will come to salvation.